Hello and welcome to The Cost of Glory. This is Alex Petkus. In The Cost of Glory, we review the lives of many people, mainly the subjects of Plutarch's biographies, but also others they encountered. Sertorius, Marius, Sulla, Cinna, to name a few so far. Soon we'll meet Eumenes and the people that impacted him. Philip of Macedon, Antigonus, Alexander. And in reviewing so many lives of people who reached such heights of fame, such apparent success, at least for a period of their lives, it can be tempting to peer over at the other guy's lawn and notice it's greener or has fewer of those little bald patches than yours or whatever. Perhaps we want to have the other person's fascinating life or friends. Now, Plutarch is not going to tell you like you hear so often these days, don't you? Oh, stop comparing yourself to other people. He's not going to tell you that. And by the way, why do we keep on doing it even though we're constantly hearing that we're not supposed to? Is it really that clear and practical a rule to live by? Plutarch actually thinks comparison with others is often very useful. When you emulate excellence, for example, there's a comparison there. That guy is good. I'm not there yet. I want to be like that. That's positive. And comparison, of course, underlies the whole project of his biographies. Plutarch compares lives of individual Greeks and Romans, puts them up against each other, precisely because he wants us to put our own lives up against theirs. In that positive way, though. But of course, there is something to that overused refrain about comparing yourself to others, and there's a danger, or at least there's something to keep in mind when reviewing the lives of people we admire. And to get at this, I want to turn back to this text that Plutarch wrote that we talked about last time, the one he addressed to his elite Roman friend, Pacius, his senator buddy, the busy and stressed one with the court cases and the clients and so on. And the text is called, again, On Tranquility of Mind. And there's a passage on this topic. Plutarch says, Isn't it true that we often look over at other lives and become desirous of something that another person has, a skill, an honor? And this tendency continues no matter how far you get up the ladder. In other words, you always have to resist it. And Plutarch gives the example of a famous tyrant of Syracuse in Sicily named Dionysius. This is Dionysius the Elder. Dionysius acquired so much wealth and power that he decided to try to excel in another field and took up poetry. He wrote Greek tragedies, actually. And Dionysius once asked a real poet named Philoxenus for an assessment of his own poems. And Philoxenus told him what he really thought. Well, the poet's assessment dissatisfied Dionysius, so he had Philoxenus banished to the stone quarries for hard labor. Afterwards, when Dionysius cooled down, Philoxenus was reinstated. His friends interceded with the tyrant. And a little later, at a party, Dionysius was reciting some more of his own poetry, and people are clapping nervously, but then they start to look at Philoxenus for his critical assessment, and he couldn't really hide his reaction, so he turned to the guards and said, Could you take me back to the quarries? Well, a good friend might have told Dionysius his energies were better spent elsewhere, but tyrants don't usually have good friends. And so Plutarch reflects, quote, Therefore not all pursuits are for everyone, but one must, obeying the Pythian inscription, know oneself 
and then use oneself for that one thing for which nature has fitted one, and not do violence to nature by dragging oneself towards the emulation of now one sort of life, now another. And Plutarch quotes a few lines of the poet Pindar here. The horse is for the chariot, the ox for the plow, beside the ship most swiftly speeds the dolphin. And if you think to slay a boar, you must find a stout-hearted hound. And Plutarch continues on. But that man is out of his wits who is annoyed and pained that he is not at the same time both a lion bred on the mountains, sure of his strength, and a little Maltese dog cuddled in the lap of a widow. And likewise, no better is the man who wishes at the same time to be an Empedocles or a Plato or a Democritus writing about the universe and the true nature of reality and, like Euphorion, to be married to a wealthy old woman, or, like Medius, to be one of Alexander's drinking buddies and party with him. And he is vexed and grieved if he is not also admired for his wealth, like Ismenius, and also for his valor, like Epaminondas. We know that runners are not discouraged simply for the fact that they do not carry off wrestlers' crowns, but they exult and rejoice in their own. As the poet says, your portion is Sparta. Let your crowns be for her. End quote. And Plutarch ends here with a famous line from a play of Euripides. And the sense is, should the Spartan king look at other rich kingdoms and try to take them over? Or should he emulate the sophistication of the Athenians or the innovation of the Greeks of Asia? Well, then Sparta wouldn't be Sparta. Instead, rule the Sparta which the gods assigned you. And earlier in the passage, Plutarch reminds us of the famous saying inscribed at the temple of Delphi, Know thyself, gnothi sauton in Greek, the phrase which inspired Socrates and so many others. So, what is your nature, and what is the lot assigned to you? Knowing and Owning these is key to acquiring so much of what is worth striving for in this life. What is your Sparta? Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for you next week.